right, good morning, good to be with you. If you're visiting, really glad that you're here. We are in Exodus chapter 7. I'm not going to spend long on our intro today because we are uh, kind of covering a lot of ground. We're, we're getting into the plagues today, which is exciting. It's like the most recognizable part of Exodus. And so, um, so two weeks ago, when we were in Exodus 5, Pharaoh asked a very interesting question when Moses and Aaron said, the Lord says, let my people go, and they used the, the personal name of God that he'd revealed to Moses, Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh says, let my people go. Pharaoh responds like this, Exodus 5 verse 2, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord, Yahweh, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. Um, Egypt had a pantheon of, of gods and goddesses. They had more than a hundred of them, and so when Moses and Aaron, they say God's name, uh, Pharaoh's response, he kind of runs through the mental checklist of all the gods that he knows. He's like, I don't know that one. It's like, I have a hundred gods. Why would I listen to this other one I know nothing about? Um, what's really interesting about ancient pagan worship is it has two characteristics. Uh, one, worship is utilitarian. Uh, by that, I mean you get something specific that you want from each of your gods or your goddesses. So there's, there's a god or a goddess for just about everything, and, and you go to them because you want something from them. Uh, and so that's, uh, you know, that's why you give them your offerings or you do the rituals or whatever it is. Two, the pagan gods in these ancient cultures, as far as I'm aware, every single one of them, uh, they don't care about whether you live a moral life or not. Uh, they only care about what you bring to them. They're your offerings, your rituals, or whatever it is that you're doing for them that you have to do to please them in order to get what you want from them. Uh, one of the things that we've mentioned in this series is that, you know, people are the same today as they were then. Like, modern people are the same as ancient people, not in terms of, like, our knowledge or our technology. Like, obviously, those things are different. But the things that people want, those are all the same. Uh, everything that we want, we, and we might not have like little carved figures of, of gods and goddesses and formal rituals that we ascribe spiritual significance to uh, like ancient Egyptians did, but the, the things ancient Egyptians wanted from their pagan gods and goddesses, we want those same things, and we just turn to different sources to get it. Uh, and the trust and the dedication that ancient Egyptians put towards their gods and their goddesses, we put that same trust and that same dedication towards these other sources that we turn to. Does, does that make sense? Like, we have, like, we're still a culture full of idolatry. We make idols, we make false gods, and we can turn almost anything into the God that we're looking to to get all these things that, that every human being wants out of life. We can, we can make a God out of our career, or our family, or a relationship, or a sports team, uh, house, car, uh, personal expression, right? To express yourself the most honestly and get celebrated for that. Uh, political party, political leader, we can turn anything into a false god, and we do. And as we start reading in Exodus 7, as the plagues are starting, it's important to realize what God is doing. Two big things God is accomplishing through these plagues. First, he's punishing Egypt for their sin. Uh, th this is an expression of God's wrath for their sin where they have enslaved and oppressed the people of Israel um, and, and even taken their children and put them to death. 
So this is a punishment and an expression of God's wrath for that. Second, God is revealing the truth about who he is by exposing the false gods that they turn to in their worship and that they put their trust in. That he is the true source uh, who is able to actually give you what you're trying to get from all these false things, all these things that aren't able to actually give you what it is that you're looking for. When the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, I think, is, uh, is in Athens and he sees they have all these altars to all these different gods and he sees one to the unknown god uh, because, you know, they just want to make sure they don't miss anyone and so they make like a catch-all altar to the unknown god and Paul looks at that and uh, he responds like this. He says, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. It's like, first of all, like utilitarian worship is, is not how it works. Right? God doesn't need anything from us. He's, we can't give him something that doesn't already belong to him. That's not the nature of this relationship that we're meant to have with him. And then second of all, the things that you want out of life, all the things you're looking for that everyone wants, meaning, purpose, satisfaction, joy, peace, security, like all these things that everyone wants, this, and, and we turn to all of our idols to, to get those things from them, the one who's actually able to give you those things, he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he's the creator, he gives you life and breath and everything, and he wants to make himself known to you. Like, God is never hiding, he's never making you work for it to, to, to see the truth of who he is, he's constantly uh, trying to show you who he is. He wants to, in Egypt, he wants to expose the hollow and empty nature of these false gods that, that the people have made up to show that, you know, the things that you think you're getting from them, I'm really the true source. Uh, and, and you can get them from, from me, from the God, the, the Lord of heaven and earth. Uh, sometimes we need that. Uh, we need to have our false hopes exposed as false even if that is a painful thing, because it, it's the only thing that can bring us to what is true. And so that's, that's what we start seeing here in Exodus 7, verse 1. Look at this. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Um, so a few, few things in there. Again, we've mentioned God hardens Pharaoh's heart, but as we see in the beginning, Pharaoh's hardening his own heart, and it's later when he's made a pattern of these decisions that God gives him over to the choices he's made, and God starts hardening his heart. And, and we see God's purpose in here, right? He's very explicit, very clear about it. God's purpose in what he's about to do is to make himself known. 
He's answering Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord, who's Yahweh, that I should listen to him? Like God says, okay, I will tell you, right? I'm gonna teach you, I'm gonna show you. And uh, he's gonna show him the truth of who he is. In the Gospel of John, chapter eight, Jesus says, uh, if, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Some of you in here today, like you might not be a Christian, and that's totally fine. If you're not a Christian and you're here exploring your faith, or maybe you just had a friend invite you out and you just want to be polite to your friend, and so you said, yeah, I'll come check it out, and, and maybe that's why you're here. And again, that, that's fine. If there's any truth to what the Bible proclaims is true, if there's any truth about, you know, there, there really is a God who is the the Lord of heaven and earth, the source of life and breath and everything. Wouldn't you want to know it? Like, if, the, if that God is real, if he really does love you, if there really is forgiveness and salvation and eternal life, like wouldn't, wouldn't you want to know those things? I, I hope if you're in that point where you're exploring or you're checking things out, I, I hope that you are willing to explore faith with an open mind, because God does want to make himself known. Maybe even today, he can start to do that for you. He can start to make himself known to you. Um, now, what we read next is, uh, is like Pharaoh's last chance before the plagues actually start. This is like the warm-up a little bit, and, and we see so much of God's patience in here, because the plagues, they don't all dump out at once. Every single successive plague is an additional opportunity where God's being patient for Pharaoh to repent and to change his mind and to listen to him, and, uh, and he, he keeps saying no, but, uh, but God is, every step of the way, he's so patient, he's, he's teaching, I am the true God, I do have true power, uh, I, I really am present, I really am here, and he, he wants to make that so known to Pharaoh and to the people of Egypt that they'll actually listen to him. And Pharaoh just doesn't. And so, um, so here we go in verse 8. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts, for each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Uh, the more you read into these, and the more we're going to see next week even, uh, it's so frustrating because Pharaoh like shifts the goalposts. Like it's, it's so annoying when people do that. But he's like, okay, offer proof that what you're saying is true. And they offer the proof. And he said, not good enough. Um, the Egyptian magicians, I know that's kind of funny. Like there's two things it could be. One, maybe these guys are like Penn and Teller, just like smoke and mirrors kind of magicians. Like that's totally possible. Um, or they really could be, have some like, you know, supernatural power by their occult practices or, you know, borrowing power from demons. Like, we, we don't know. It's presenting it as if they really do have this, this power to, to do it. But either way, God's power is clearly greater. 
you know? Like if you're watching a snake fight, I don't know how often you do that, but if, if one of the snakes eats all the other snakes, he won the fight, you know? Like God's staff, like Aaron's staff, like it's the winner. God's power is greater, but that's not enough, right? That's not enough. He, he hardens his heart, and, uh, and so Pharaoh doesn't care. He won't listen. In order to make him listen, God says, okay, we're going to take this one step further. Uh, I'm going to reveal more of my power, and in doing so, I'm going to expose uh, one of your false gods. And so verse 14, we're going to read a lot here. Uh, so stick with me. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, right? He's made this decision. He's hardened his own heart. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. So Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up his staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood, and the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed and the Lord, uh, after the Lord had struck the Nile. So a lot of texts that we read, big picture, first plague involves the Nile and turning the water to blood, which is obviously a bad thing. Uh, you can't drink it. The, the fish in it are dying. The Nile itself is, is hugely important to the Egyptians. It, uh, it creates this fertile delta for them which is how they grow all their crops. Um, they use it for drinking water, for transportation, for fishing in it. Um, it's because, the reason they are where they are is because of the Nile, and the reason they're able to build up their own strength and power and become the people that they are is because the Nile is there. And it's the, the symbol of life for them, and the god, the it ancient Egyptian god of the Nile is uh, a god named Hapi, Hapi or Happy, H-A-P-I, if anyone cares. Um, but he's, he's one of the many. And again, these gods, they don't care whether you live a moral life or not. Hapi doesn't care whether you are kind to your neighbors or you cheat on your taxes or you do drugs. He doesn't care about any of that. You bring your offerings and you do the rituals and Hapi responds and every spring would raise, they believe, raise the waters of the Nile to create this, this fertile delta that would uh, support them through the next year. Um, utilitarian worship. Uh, what people hope to get from Hopi, like the, the thing that Hopi is, he's the god of the Nile, but also uh, the god of, you know, an abundant, fulfilling life. Um, that's the human desire that this pagan god 
offered, uh, an abundant life, a full, fulfilling life. The, the kind of thing that you see when you see like drug commercials on TV, like you know what I'm talking about? Like the pharma- pharmaceutical commercials, they're so funny because it starts out and it's like, do you have hemorrhoids? And then it's like the happiest people on earth. They're like camping and rock climbing and canoeing and like at nice restaurants and everyone is beautiful and happy and laughing and it's like the best thing ever. And then it's like, you know, preparation H, uh, like buy our cream. And I swear, like I've never seen anyone as happy as I see in those commercials, which are wild to me that they exist in the first place. Cause like, I don't know about you, like my medical strategy in my own life is like I go to a doctor and I'm like, you've studied this, like what do you think I should do? Like I don't go and like, I saw this thing on TV, like what do you think, you know? I, maybe, they, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I just kind of trust the doctors for that. Um, full and, and abundant life that we see, like we want the life that we see in the hemorrhoid commercial, we just don't want the hemorrhoids. Uh, <laughs> what? I'm sorry. <laughs> what do you think it takes? Like, what do you turn to to get that, you know, like the, to get your life to that status where you're that happy, you're that fulfilled, you have that much joy, that much, much peace, that much freedom from your worries and your anxieties? Like, what are the things that you answer in your head? If only I could have that, if only we could be there, if only this could happen, then my life would start to look like that. You know, when, when I get the right job or when I get that promotion or uh, we, we find the right house, um, when I get married, my life will start to look like that. When, when we have kids, my life will start to look like that. When the kids leave, my life will start to look like that. Uh, Hoppy is supposed to be this god of the Nile. He's supposed to have power over the Nile, sovereignty over the Nile. Pharaoh himself also is one of the gods in the Egyptian pantheon, and one of the important jobs that Pharaoh has every year is to, I think it, it was in June, go up the river to meet with Hopi, his brother, and like talk with him and convince him to make the waters rise. It's one of the things that Pharaoh did every single year, and what does the God of Israel expose? Yahweh, Lord of heaven and earth, uh, the, the true and living God, what does he do? He takes the Nile and he turns it to blood and exposes these false gods that, that they don't have the power that you think they do. He's the one that has this power. Two truths this should be waking the Egyptians up to. Uh, first, that the, the God of Israel is the true God of the Nile. Right, everything that they've turned to Hopi for and they've attributed to him and uh, everything they've been enjoying and receiving from the Nile and how it's blessed their lives and made their lives abundant, uh, the source of that blessing truly could be traced back to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Because you see, he he has the power to to simply take it from them and, and turn the river to blood. James, the the brother of Jesus in the New Testament, he says every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father. Every good thing ultimately is coming from him. Whatever you think you might be getting from your your false gods or your false hopes, whatever it is, the source of those things is in God himself. Second truth, this should be awakening the Egyptians too. They, They need to understand and they probably are getting an idea that God is judging them for their sins specifically 
the sin of taking their infant sons and throwing them into the Nile. We see a similar act of judgment in the book of Revelation in chapter 16. It says this, the third angel poured out his bowl. And there's so much like symbolism and imagery in Revelation that like we're not preaching Revelation right now. So I'm not going to like really start unpacking anything. So just like stick with me for this. One day we'll do Revelation. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. False gods, they don't care about your morality, they're utilitarian, makes them really convenient. The people, the reason people like false gods is because they're super convenient. You kind of get what you want from them and you can still live the way that you want. The, the true living God is the Lord of heaven and earth. He's not like that. The true God is a God of justice. Just are you, O holy one. Imagine how, this is good news and bad news, it's God of justice. Imagine how validating this must be for the Hebrew people who had lost their children to the Egyptians and to the Nile. To see, like, God cares about this. He didn't forget about this. This matters to him. He's angry about this. It was wrong for them to do this and they're not going to get away with it. He's, he's keeping score on this. He's not going to let them go free. Like how validating it must be. Like, like this, yes, this really is wrong. It's really unjust and something really will be done about it. That's good. We long for that kind of justice. However, God is, is just. God is consistently just and if God were to confront me, if he were to confront you about your own sin and everything that you've said, everything you've done, the way that you've treated every person that you've encountered in your life, if you were to be exposed for, for having really done those things and it was just on display for you to see, you wouldn't be able to say anything to that. I wouldn't be able to say anything to that. I couldn't claim to be a good person with the evidence of all my sin arranged against me. No one could. For some of you, if, um, if I could take your internet history and just put it on the screen there and we could all read it together, uh, you would be so ashamed of it that m maybe you'd never come back. And for some of you, if I could put your conversations up here that you have with your, your mom or your sister, your coworker, whoever like your gossip partner is, and, and we could all just together look at it and see the way that you talk about some people, you'd be so ashamed of that that maybe you'd never come back. God, God knows us. He knows what our sin is. He's not blind to it. He's not tricked by the justifications that we give, how, how we get defensive. And, and try to uh, try to justify ourselves. 
he, he knows, he sees it clearly. And he does, he does expose us in some ways that we see it and we can't deny it. One of the ways that he wakes us up, we need to be woken up to see that this really isn't okay. There really is something that's wrong, something that's not right. If there's something wrong and not right, we, it's not good to just be able to ignore it or suppress it or pretend it's not there. We need to be woken up to it. Pharaoh, so far, is not ready to, to wake up. He refuses to listen. His magicians, they can make the water turn into blood somehow, I don't know how they test this because he's already done it, like he's already turned the Nile into blood, um, but whatever, they're able to do it. They, they don't have the power to turn it back. Neither can Pharaoh, who's supposedly a god, and neither can Hopi, who's the god of the Nile, and so they dig for water along the banks, and so, uh, so let's keep reading and see what happens next. Um, we'll get into the second plague. It is in chapter eight, verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and onto your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and you and your people and all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the pools to make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand out of the water, uh, over the waters of Egypt when the frogs came and covered the land of Egypt, but the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Here the plagues are starting to get a little bit more intrusive. Remember, the Nile turns to blood. Uh, Pharaoh goes home. He just leaves and other people are digging up water for him. With this plague, the plague of frogs, um, they're, they're getting everywhere. They're, they're getting into your home, they're getting into your room, they're getting into your oven, they're just intrusive for everyone, for Pharaoh himself. Um, now, if you don't know the pantheon of ancient Egyptian gods, you read this and you go like, does God just have like a weird sense of humor? Like, it sounds like, why frogs? You know, like, I, it works, but who thinks of that? Um, there is a reason, there, there is a reason. He's judging and exposing the false gods of Egypt, and, uh, and so for, for the second plague, there's a frog-headed goddess named Heket, H-E-Q-E-T. Uh, the goddess Heket was a, a goddess of, of fertility and birth and family legacy, like those are the, the human desire for children, for family, for building up uh, family legacy, those, a fruitful life. That is what Heket is, is, uh, is worshiped for and what the people are trying to get from her. And, um, you know, there, there's more than a hundred of these Egyptian gods, and uh, there, there's a reason that God is choosing the ones that he chooses. Just like with the Nile turning it to blood, th this is a further indictment on their sin and a further way to, uh, to expose, you know, their, their false worship where the, the true God of fruitfulness is, the, is Yahweh, the God of Israel, the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the one who has been 
blessing the Egyptians. He's the one who has given them their children and built up their families. And while God has been blessing them in that way, while he's been the true source of that blessing, not this false God, while he's been doing that, the Egyptians themselves have turned to their Hebrew slaves and taken their children and thrown them in the Nile. The, the plagues that we've seen so far, it's kind of like a Christmas carol. God is haunting them with the ghost of what they'd done in their past. He's, he's making it hang over their heads. He's making it so that they have to see what it is that they've done and why it is that he's so furious with them. And as the plagues progress, you see, there is some change in how Pharaoh and the Egyptians respond. And, and there's, it's interesting to see the way that those change and, and just how it escalates. And so the, the first real change here in, um, in verse eight, even though the magicians can also do the frogs, they can replicate this somehow, this one, it feels like smoke and mirrors because like it, there's already frogs everywhere. They could just like stash them and like throw them out. Like I don't know how they're doing this, but verse eight, there's a difference to how in the response to this. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be cut off from you and from your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them into heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a, resp uh, a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So close, right? Like Pharaoh is actually is brought to a point of change to repentance, it looks like, not from a sense of conviction that he's been like, you know, he, he feels that what he'd done is wrong, more from a sense of pragmatism, like we need to get rid of these frogs, like we can't live like this. Um, and so, so he, he asks and he says, I will let them go. And uh, Moses prays and the frogs are taken away. And as soon as they're taken away, he hardens his heart changes his mind back. He's, he's in this cycle. We'll see more of this cycle as the plagues progress. Um, you might, we get into this cycle. We get into the same cycle that Pharaoh's in. You may have been in it or are currently in it where you just get so close. You get so close to the point of breakthrough, to the thing that God is bringing you to, that he wants you to do. You get so close to it, and, and it's like, you know, thing, things are hard, and you turn to God, and things get better, and as soon as things get better, you go back. And then things get hard, and you go to God, and things get better, and then you go back. Like, again and again and again, you've been, uh, how many points in your life have you been so close to a breakthrough in your faith and deepening your trust 
with God, your relationship with him, uh, a breakthrough in your obedience, finally taking that step of faith that God's put right in front of you, uh, a breakthrough in surrendering and letting go of the thing that God's asking you to let go of, telling you to let go of, and you just can't, you get so close and maybe you start to do it, but as soon as things start turning around, you go right back to it. Sometimes what we see is people don't change unless they have to change, right? Unless it's the only option left. Like, even if everything is telling them, like, you need to make this change, you need to take this step, you need to let this thing go, everything is saying this is a good idea, and they just won't listen to it. We, part of being a a wise person, I think most people want to be wise, part of wisdom is being able to learn from the mistakes of others, in their experiences, and having them tell you, like, this is what I've learned, this is what works, this is what doesn't, and just trusting them for that, especially when enough people are saying it, and saying, okay, I can learn from that without having to make that mistake myself, right? That's wisdom, and we do this with all kinds of things. You trust so what so many people say for things that you're never going to figure out on your own, like science, you know? Like, I'm never going to figure out on my own that atoms exist. I'm just never going to do it. I just trust the scientists. They say there's atoms. I believe them. You know, I don't know how my phone works. I don't know what's in it. Uh, I just trust that they figured it out and that it's, it's going to work. Um, you, you trust what other people say, things that they've discovered on their own. Learn, learn from the example of, of Pharaoh. Learn from the people in your life that are telling you, like, man, I've been in it, I've been stuck there, I kept saying no, it got harder, and it got more painful, and it was just, it was time for me to take this step. Whatever it is that the people around you are saying, like, you need to make this change, you need to let this go, whatever God is making so clear to you, this is what I want from you, this is what I want you to do, just just listen, it'll be so much easier on you if you just listen, if you just trust. Finally, the, uh, the last plague that we're looking at today, the third plague, this is the plague of gnats in verse 16. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. The false god being exposed here is is an Egyptian god named Geb, G-E-B, if anyone cares, um, the God of the earth, uh, the, sort of like the, the fertility of the land, the, the whole land of Egypt. This is the God of the land. And uh, Yahweh, the true God, he takes that land that this other God has supposed dominion over, and he takes their dust and turns it into gnats that just ruin everyone's day. The thing about gnats is they're terrible. Um, the, uh, the other day, I was like, Sometimes, you know, like, as, like a, a pre, it's like the weirdest thing, like things are coming up that I need to teach on, and then like God makes you experience it, 
And so you just get like a, you get a deeper understanding. And like, I hope this is the only plague this happens with. So uh, <laughs> the other day, just a couple days ago, Megan and I, we, we just moved. We found this new lake with a, like a walking path around. It was really nice. There's swans in the lake. And uh, so we're there, we're walking with Amelia, and like, you know the cloud of gnats that you see sometimes that just like stay in one spot? And like, I don't know why, but they're just like hanging out there. There was a really big one on the path. And so I was having a really nice, really peaceful time before we got to that. And then inside the gnat cloud, I was not having a peaceful time. And then as soon as we got out, it was peaceful again. But, like, it's just terrible. Like, they get in your nose and, like, your eyes and your mouth, just, like, coughing and just, like, swatting the air like an idiot. And, uh, and like, just, it's, it's terrible. You can't have peace inside a gnat cloud. The Egyptians, uh, they are a wealthy nation. They, they have their Hebrew slaves. They live lives of general luxury and ease. Uh, they they kind of, you get the picture, they get to uh, lounge around a bit. Um, and, and this, you know, the, the true source of the peace that they enjoy, the, the life and breath and everything, and this peace that they have, the source of that is Yahweh, the God of Israel, the Lord of heaven and earth. And the reason we know that is because he can just make a decision and their peace is ruined and taken away from them. No one is lounging around with, with the gnats there, and they don't have indoors like we have indoors, like, like airtight seals or whatever. Like the, the gnats are getting into everything. When God sends you something that ruins your peace like that, he might be trying to wake you up to something. And, and if it's something you need to be woken up to, it, it's a good thing that your peace is being ruined like that. The Egyptians, you see it, they're starting to wake up. It's like the, it's kind of a sad thing, but everyone in Egypt wakes up before Pharaoh does. Like you see it in the magicians here. They, uh, you know, they can't replicate this one. This one is beyond them, beyond their ability. They can't even smoke and mirrors it or or if it's real power, whatever it is, and they go like, this, this is the finger of God. Like, we can't do this. You know, th- this is a real, true, living God, and he's mad at us, and so maybe we should listen to him. Right, God's plan is working. His purpose in doing these, these great signs and wonders, his purpose is being accomplished. He's revealing the truth about who he is, the reality of who he is. Listen, if, uh, if you ever find yourself, and, and I think we all do, if you ever find yourself like really, you know, grateful, thankful for, for what you have in your life, for, you know, the, the people that you have in your life, you, you have these, these moments of joy or these seasons of peace or whatever it is, and you have this gratitude for what your life is and what you have, uh, the source, the true source of those things is God, the Lord of heaven and earth. And your gratitude should belong to him. He's the source of life and breath and everything. He's the one who's made us the way we are. He's given us the desires we have, and he's the source who can satisfy those things that human beings have always desired from ancient Egypt to modern day. And he's a God of justice. 
the Egyptians, they're learning that. They're learning that God does actually care about the way that you live your life, the decisions you make. That's good news. It's good that evil will not go forgotten or unpunished. It gives us a sense of peace when we, when we see the injustice in the world and we go, man, like that, that's so beyond me. Like I can't do anything about it. It, it looks like it's never going to change. It looks like it's just allowed to go on and we get a sense of peace knowing like, no, God, God is a God of justice and he's the God of the universe. He's sovereign overall. He's not going to just let things go. These things matter to him. Like we don't have to feel the futility that, that they're just getting away with it. Like that's good, and yet it should also be pricking our hearts because no one is righteous, not a single person. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're all guilty of sin. We all have things in us that could and should be exposed so that we don't become complacent and comfortable with something that's severely wrong. In the plagues, we, we start getting a picture of what God's wrath for sin looks like. We really need all the plagues to get a full picture of what his wrath looks like, and, and the tenth plague is, is a plague of death. The good news of the Bible is uh, God does not only want you to know about him. He doesn't just want you to know that he's there and he exists and he cares about justice. He doesn't just want you to have knowledge about him. He wants you to know him personally. That in a personal relationship with him, you can receive from him all the things that you've ever wanted, all the things that you've been looking for in all these other places. Meaning and purpose and satisfaction and peace and joy and security and, and forgiveness. You look for those things. You want those things. The source of those things has come to you himself. Like Jesus has come to us. He's, he's born among us. He comes down to us to, to make himself known. Jesus speaks to us. He speaks to you. Like through your life, through, through the people that you know and the experiences you have and, and just what happens in your life and he speaks to you through his word. He could be speaking to you right now. Not like I'm not Jesus, like, you know, we're not a cult, but like through, through this, through Exodus and through, through everything that we're opening up about it, God can make words come alive to you that you need. He can move you in your heart through some of the words that you're hearing this morning. He's speaking to you. And when you make a decision, you put your faith in him, you trust him for your forgiveness, for your salvation, for your eternity, you put all your hope in him and what he's done as a gift for you, you, you know him and you get the assurance that you're never going to have to experience God's wrath for sin. Like the way that God punishes sin you're never going to experience that for yourself because what Jesus does is he goes to the cross so that he can experience it for you. And on the cross, as Jesus is about to give his final breath, he says, it's finished. It's finished. The debt is 
paid in full. And so whenever you experience something that's painful in your life, whatever it is, and you're going to, okay? Whenever you experience something that's painful in your life and you know Jesus and your faith is in him and you trust him, it could be for a few different reasons, but what you know is it, the, the reason could never be that God's punishing you. It could be discipline. He could be correcting you. He could be showing you something that is helpful for you to see for your own health and your own, uh, you know, to increase your joy and to increase your peace. It could be discipline. It's not always. It could be for, for something that you just don't understand yet, that God has a plan and a purpose for whatever this painful thing is to, to show, uh, to, to lead to something good. He has some redemptive purpose in it. But he's not punishing you. You, when you are his, when you put your faith in him, you're, you're his, you're loved, you're forgiven, you're embraced. Hoppy, he, remember him? He, uh, he offered this, this abundant and full life that he's not able to deliver, right? God clearly shows, like, I'm actually the one who has power over this. Jesus, the Son of God, God is a, a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons, one God. Jesus is the true God, and Jesus says this in John 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Egyptians lived in, in their, their luxury, their peace is taken away from them by the presence of these gnats, and Jesus says this in John 16, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is the source who can actually give you the abundant life that your heart craves and desires. He can give you life so abundant that it never runs out. Right? An eternal life. And the life that you have now, he can make so rich and so fulfilling that it doesn't compare to the life that you had apart from him. Even when things are difficult, and there will still be things that are difficult, Jesus gives you his peace, gives you the peace of knowing, I do love you, you are mine, you're in my hands, I won't let you go. You're in the hands of the God who's the Lord of heaven and earth, who gives life and breath and everything, who's sovereign over all. God exposes false gods. He exposes false hopes. He shows you. He wants you to know that he is the true source of all these things. That you can receive the rich and fulfilling and abundant, meaningful, purposeful life of peace and joy from him that you've always wanted. I don't know where you are. Maybe you're in the, the Pharaoh cycle where you, you're close to that point and then you, you back away from it and then you're close and you back away. What's it going to take for you to finally take a step forward and trust? How, what, what's it going to take? How many times will it take or, or what is it going to take for, for God to expose your sin, to expose there really is a problem in you that needs to be addressed 
And then it can be a trust. It's a trust in his son, Jesus. I hope that, I hope that you look for him. I hope that you find him. He's trying to be found. And I hope that in him, you, you find the truth, not only that he is the, the Lord of heaven and earth, but he's the Lord of heaven and earth who loves you. Let me pray for us.